welcome to the Light Reading Podcast. I'm Phil Harvey. I'm an editor here at Light Reading. I'm Kelsey Zeiser. I'm also an editor at Light Reading. And I'm Chet Patel. I'm the Chief Commercial Officer for BT Global. Mr. Patel, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for the, for the invitation and the welcome. Uh, glad to have you on the podcast. I, I have a very important and uh, boy, my uh, our listeners are familiar with my uh, uh second grade approach to uh q a <laughs> but I, I i get tripped up over titles sometimes yeah. what in in the in the world of bt global what does the chief commercial officer do is that more of a sales uh function or is that all about finding out what markets you should be in and shouldn't be in or is it something entirely different so it's the bridge between product and sales so we do everything between portfolio and actually help support the sales process by providing specialist sales um, capability, technical design, that sort of stuff. Do you determine like the, um, or does your team help determine the commercial viability of something when some, when a, a product is developed? Okay. So we'll, we'll sort of feed back into the portfolio teams, the product teams about, hey, we're seeing these things being really attractive in the market um, and these vendors um, and these capabilities. So we should work on developing more around that area. Um, and then I enable salespeople to be able to, to sell through training, through collateral. We do the marketing. We do all the social digital marketing. Um, we do the sales operations um, okay. and all that sort of stuff that helps them to basically be more um, convincing and compelling and be more complete in front of our customers. Okay. Oh no, that, that that clears it up. Thanks for that. Um, and now and now I, uh, I'll uh, Kelsey. Maybe we want to kick off, and we can actually talk about uh, industry stuff. Uh, now that I've <laughs> done obsessing with everybody's titles, I would be staring at your business card right now if we were in person. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, thanks for thanks again for joining us, Chet, and wanted to talk to you today a little bit about how uh, the relationship between telcos and, and hyperscalers is changing. Um, you know, it's been a topic for a number of years of are they in competition or more that buzzword coopetition, I suppose. So um, what are your thoughts on how that relationship is changing and um, maybe if the pandemic's had an impact on that as well uh, when it comes to managing cloud infrastructure? Yeah, I think the, and you're right, Kelsey, it, it's changed a lot over the last, I want to say decade or so from a position of, hey, we don't really know what these cloud folk do or what their intentions are. <laughs> and and the, the hyperscale is saying, hey, do we really need network and telcos? Right. Um, you know, that's where it started. And now you'll have seen the flurry of, hey, um, everybody's partnering with everybody. Um, telcos are partnering with all these hyperscalers and all the hyperscalers within region need to partner with all the telcos. And one of the things that's driven that is sort of just a little bit more maturity in the market, if I'm perfectly honest, um, and realizing that actually working together, and we all compete, we all compete, but working together um, on many, many more occasions is now seen to be more value additive to end customers. Um, so there's a lot more of that that goes on. And also because of regulation in certain countries around GDPR, uh, the, the, the hyperscalers need to have presence in more countries because the data can't leave these countries. So then they naturally have to work with telco and connectivity providers to stitch together all their uh, data centers and their nodes across the world as well. So that's 
that sort of helped as well a little bit. Yeah, it's an interesting um, uh, pushback on their business model, which is, you know, uh, scaling the globe and, you know, uh, making everything cheaper to run by connecting more and more people, but then you get into regulation. So then it's like, well, now you have to basically have customized everything for specific markets, um, different processes, different procedures, whatever. And Phil, the truth is it's a change for the, the telcos as well as the hyperscalers. As the hyperscalers have been through this journey, all the telcos in the world had their networks planned around big customers, around big cities. And guess what? We all know where the traffic's going now. It's going to these huge cloud nodes. So we've had to move all the highways and the, the network connectivity and everything. So it's more connected to cloud nodes, regardless of where customers are. So they can be anywhere. But the important is being really well connected to these cloud nodes as well. So it's changed for, for everybody, really. This is kind of a this or that question. But does do the hyperscalers need to, you know, because this was kind of a, a, a theme I guess when telcos were moaning about not getting product, you know, revenue and not getting connectivity revenue for content and things like that, uh, which they, they still tend to do, but it, but um, there was sort of this uh, pushback from the investment financial community of like, well, they just need to be more like cloud providers. Um, I, I'm wondering from your perspective on do, do their, uh, do telcos need to operate more like hyperscalers or vice versa, or um, or or is there is there sort of a, a world in which they do what they do and they just partner and and that's good enough? It's it's a complicated response to that. The first thing I want to say though, Phil, is that um, telcos are sort of a little bit guilty of missing um, the whole hyperscale DC. Uh, phenomenon which has grown up because it was right before their eyes um, but they were so concerned about connecting people to each other and then connecting machines and then 3g and 4g and now 5g and then fiber etc etc that they didn't quite see the um the growth of of, of hyperscalers um and then moving on from that i think there's more understanding now that actually you know what i always look at sort of cloud big cloud nodes as organs and the veins are is the network connections that are pumping the blood to the the main organs and you can't survive without either one of them so you've got to find a way of working and the beauty of it is this that customers now are totally reliant we're they sort of you know a more cloud native and an internet first type um, strategy as more and more data is being consumed um, they're moving to more native, cloud native and internet first strategies. Um, it, it sort of brings even more sharper focus to how these communities can work together, how the routing can be more diverse, i.e. there's got to be multiple links and connections in in case one fails. And what's the fallback for these um, hyperscale clouds as well? They all have to have a fallback data center. Um, and they all have a little bit of network and we have a little bit of cloud and that sort of stuff. But it's all about, importantly, we mustn't lose sight of the fact that it's all about providing flexibility, choice, um, optionality to customers. So one day they could be on this cloud, or another day they could move some workloads to a different cloud, um, etc. They have their network transport to be able to do that, and they can make their own choices um, depending on what it is that they're after as well. And importantly, 
all that needs to be provided in a really secure manner as well, uh, which all the industry, whether you're a hyperscaler or a, or a telco, are, are super focused on providing. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah, they, they have become, uh, they have started to mirror one another a little bit in different in different aspects of their business. Like you said, cloud providers are paying a lot more attention to security now and, and, and redundancy and those sort of, uh, I would say, telco type traits. And then telcos are, um, you know, responding to their customers' demand and also kind of looking at how the cloud providers, you know, respond and, and develop products. You know, so oftentimes five nines is not necessary for a lot of uh, products. A, a lot of times you can uh, get stuff out there into the market to satisfy a need and iterate constantly. And that's probably good enough. That's precisely right. And what I see when I speak to many CIOs and network and cloud um, operators in the world, customers who need these services, is that actually we have to design it specifically so even in the office building I'm in now, this um, session that we're running will run over a certain um, network capability and we'll have a certain amount of security and um, latency on there. But if I'm checking something else, it'll have a different one because it's, it's clever enough to realize what is really, really important and what's slightly less important. Um, and that's the, the trick. And we all learn off each other. Um, let's be really clear about that. I think... Um, the hyperscalers have taught us all the value of simplicity, all the value of getting to scale and keeping, you know, prices and products really, really simple. Trying to get a hyperscale to bespoke some cloud infrastructure for you is, is near on impossible unless you've got real, real huge scale. Um, and, you know, we, the telcos, have learned from the hyperscalers. And the hyperscalers have also learned that actually customers want a service. They don't just want a component, they need an end-to-end -end service, and they need to be able to call upon people if the service is going well, or they want to make a change, or there's an issue. Um, and that's where there's this, this marriage, if you like, between many hyperscalers and, and telcos, because one is good at some stuff, and the other one's really good at other stuff as well. So together, it works well for customers um, going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point about the um, service and um, just wanting everything to work well and not always, you know, necessarily see how the sausage is made, <laughs> just yeah. get it to work. Um, so where does BT specifically kind of land on this pendulum of, um, you know, working with um, public cloud providers, but also developing your own cloud infrastructure, um, was reading up a bit on BT Network Cloud. And it, it sounds like um, that's a way to invest in your own infrastructure, but also uh, kind of leaving the door open to continue to partner with public cloud. So um, tell us a little bit about where BT is at right now. So we ha have a belief that most customers, the majority of customers, are going to move to a, a a public cloud, but also that the majority of them are not on the public cloud at the moment, and it's going to take them many, many years to get from A to B, and they may not want to move everything totally from A to B. So we operate in this notion, um, in this state of it's going to be hybrid for a long time. It's going to be hybrid. Um, customers sometimes have their own data centers that they've invested in. We have data centers at BT, and there's many public um, different data center suppliers as well. So our trick is to sort of really understand 
the applications and sometimes the regulation and the compliance. That means that it needs to be on their premises on occasions, especially in the finance industry, it's, it's quite tightly regulated. And then other applications that they use that are less regulated and can be in the cloud. And moving all these applications to the cloud um, is where we're going. But there's lots of sort of detours and roundabouts. These applications for many industries are not just years old, in occasions, decades old. They don't work in the cloud. So that's created the whole industry of how do we cloudify applications so they will work in the cloud and how do we move them, et cetera, et cetera. So our philosophy is, hey, we think it's all going in that direction. That's the, the movement. That's the strategy that most enterprise organizations have. But we also know where they've come, where, where we are today, and it, we're going to be operating in a hybrid situation for as long as possible. So providing that flexibility of, hey, I'm moving at this pace or I'm moving slightly faster, um, or I'm a new company and I want to be born in the cloud, um, giving all that options of making them all available is really, really important. And also, if they change their mind halfway through and they want to move from hyperscaler A to hyperscaler B for commercial or technical or licensing issues, we also want them to be able to manage that around. So it's just it's just moving workloads. It could be on their equipment, our equipment, public equipment, and they may want to move it around as their strategy evolves. And I want to be in a position where we can provide all that optionality with them. And hence, you know, where we are is we work with all the um, the big hyperscalers, all of the, the big brand names um, across the world that you'd recognize in partnership with them um, to give our customers as much choice and optionality as possible. So that's where we are. That's an interesting uh, kind of middle ground too, because like you said, I, I, I also think that most things are moving to the public cloud for cost yeah. and efficiency reason, you know, if no, if for no other reason, obviously regulatory country specific uh, things will keep certain industries from getting there as quickly and, and also legacy applications, like you said, it'll keep certain industries from getting there as quickly as they maybe want to get there. Um, the, the part, uh, you mentioned that really, um, just stood out, uh, something I haven't heard as much about, maybe I could get you to expound on this, is this idea of of being um, a service provider with the intent of providing multi-cloud services. So the, yeah. the understanding that your customers are going to change their mind or they are going to be in a different place in their journey a year from now versus yeah. last year. Um, can you give us examples of how BT is kind of accommodating that mindset? Because I, I would assume with the pandemic mm-hmm. and and I guess there's sort of, boy, I'm just asking the longest damn question here, but, but bear with me. I'm, I'm working this out in my head. With the, um, I feel sorry for the person like listening to this and doing the dishes and just go get on with it, Phil. Yeah. Someone um, just fell off an elliptical machine. Right. Exactly. Yeah. They're just trying to fast forward to the skip to the question. Um, the, the question is, um, as so the pandemic and the understanding and adoption of public cloud are probably two um, things running in parallel that are kind of pushing the business, um, you know, quick more quickly into the future. And I, I do think that's a valuable uh, uh, service to sort of say, you know, 
enterprises come to us and we can help you wherever you are on your cloud journey. Can you give us examples of how that's played out or how you're actively doing that for enterprises? Yeah. And, I, and, and you're right, um, Phil, the sort of the COVID um, experience has helped to accelerate the thinking about public cloud and how customers adopt it a lot quicker because nobody's in their office. So the, the data center doesn't need to be in your office. It doesn't matter where the data center is and everybody needs access to it. And actually, if it's up in the cloud, it's easier for your people to get access to it wherever they are in the country or the world. So that is that thinking has accelerated. I think the other thinking is um, most people are moving to the cloud and that's level one thinking. And I would say level two thinking is, hey, which applications are best managed where? So if they want to do some AI and some data lake capability, they move, might choose provider A. If they want to do some sort of digital workplace type capability, they may choose a different cloud provider. And I've not met many big enterprise customers who just have one public cloud provider. They tend to have at least two, and some of them are moving to three or four for diversity reasons, for security reasons, but also their applications run differently. Uh, and you'll see the trends from some of these cloud providers. They are basically creating functionality and applications that are tied into their cloud. So we, we're using the cloud even without using the cloud because we're using some application on some computer or um, tablet or phone, which basically is driving traffic to the cloud as well. So our customers are getting more discerning as they go through this cloud journey and are actively thinking about, hey, if I'm doing X, I want to do it on this cloud. If I'm doing Y, I want to do it on this cloud. And the reasons for that are latency, our pricing, are the fact that there's the data centers that that operator has in my country, um, or that actually I'm using this company's application for A, B, and C, and that's where they host it. So I don't really have much of a choice on that as well. So you, I think you're going to see that explode even more over the coming years as people are using multiple clouds, not just one or two, but three or four potentially going forward in the future. So this hybrid cloud world is definitely here to stay. It'll probably just evolve to multiple public clouds going forward in the future more. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. It's also kind of an acknowledgement too that I think that, that every every industry and every business is going to be um, uh, ahead or behind at different parts <laughs> at, yeah. at different times along this journey. So that, yeah. that that's something that we, uh, you know, in the media, we kind of talk about everything in absolutes, but it's, it's, um, it's, it really is a gray area depending on what specific industry you're you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. I was I was thinking as you were describing all that I I don't really envy you the <laughs> the having to coach uh you know your clients through all these different um you know reasons for um using public cloud using different public clouds. I mean you mentioned security and ease of yeah. use and I'm sure cost comes in. Those are quite a lot of things to balance. So um, with that being said, uh, how do you um, kind of coach an enterprise or, or work with them on um, deciding if their cloud approach is correct or if they need to um, make a shift or, or go in a different direction? Yeah, we, we, and it's a, a really good point, actually, because um, all enterprise customers hear different messaging 
and are confused. So they could be in a situation saying, hey, do you know what? This cloud provider saying this, this one saying that, that one saying that, my security officer, he or she saying something else, my network folk are saying another thing. Hey, it's all too confusing, all too difficult. You know what? I'm going to sleep on it for a little while. Um, <laughs> and that's the biggest challenge. So mm-hmm. one of the things we try and do is basically take them through a journey where we try and understand what it is that they're trying to achieve. Is it a cost play? Is it a service play? Um, is it because they're running out of space in their own data centers? Is it because they've adopted a particular type of strategy? What is it that they're trying to do? And also what's important when they choose a network provider and a cloud provider, what sort of security wrap are they having? Um, what sort of traffic are they sending there and why? And what sort of security wrap does that traffic need to have as well before it gets there? I.e., if it's coming straight from my laptop onto the internet, into their cloud, then does that need to go through a some sort of security um, protocol? It probably does. So explaining that to customers is is is, is amazing actually because you hear that you see you physically see the light bulbs go on. So okay, so I didn't Never know. Never seen any smoke come out of their yeah, ears. Exactly. <laughs> That's in the invoicing stage. Yeah. This is what they. This is why they say this. This is what happens over here. So putting all that together and then creating a really strong service and um, financial value prop is, is, is really important. And it's different clouds for different customers, depending on uh, what they value the most. All right. I think we'll leave it there for now. We have crossed over the 20 minute mark. My, my, uh, like I said, my poor listener on, on the elliptical is, is uh, <laughs> suffering right about now, <laughs> but, uh, Chet Patel, thank you so much for, uh, for, uh, giving us a bit of, uh, detail about, uh, what it is you do and also how your customers are getting along in the cloud and where they're, uh, what all the decision points that are sort of, uh, facing them down and how you guys are helping that along. Um, thanks. Uh, and thanks for being on the podcast. We hope to have you back sometime. Thank you, Phil. Thank you, Kelsey. Love to meet you. Thanks so much.